But yes, I was only home on Friday night from, um, well, we were in Hungary at that time and then we flew back. But uh, two weeks ago, I went out with a team of four girls. Um, originally, it was supposed to be five, um, but uh, it was one of our team leaders took sick just before we were about to go out and she had to cancel, unfortunately. And we were thinking, oh, what are we going to do without her? And last minute, she this girl, is, she's wonderful. Within a day, she decided that she would come with us, um, a girl called Alex. Um, but she was going to be flying out the week after we left to join us for the second um, camp. So um, that Friday, there was myself and Alison, who is on the Youth and Skills team as well. And then Rachel McLean and a volunteer called Lindsay Mann. We all flew out and uh, we flew to Budapest and then we travelled down to the south of Hungary that same night. And then the next day we travelled for, it was about three or four hours down to our first camp, which would be in northern uh, I suppose this, Syria, Syria, <laughs> it's northern Serbia. And it was a town called Chantever and it was a big town, but um, there was, yes, yeah, the, the biggest um, Hungarian speaking town within Serbia. So um, it was lovely, lovely place. Whenever we first got there, it was absolutely roasting. And I was thinking, oh, this is going to be us for the week. It's going to be so warm. But I adjusted quickly, which isn't usually... It was one of my, my main worries, because last year I really struggled with the heat. But um, whenever I got there, I got a text from my mum saying, oh, you're, which is, oh, it's terrible over here. It's so warm. And she's like, it's 25 here. And I was like, it's 35 here. How am I going to cope? <laughs> but it was okay. Um, and so that same day, we got taken to um, the, the place where we would all be staying. And first of all, I'm going to say that throughout the whole of the fortnight, there seemed to be the same theme coming up. And that was just trust in God. Because whenever we were about to go out and we heard that Andrea had got sick, I was thinking, oh, what are we going to do without her? I was really depending on her being the mummy of the team. And um, I was just wondering what was going to happen. And uh, Thomas said to us, look, you just have to trust in God. And I thought, right, okay. And then a couple of weeks prior to that, we, got, we found out that the first place we were supposed to be going to um, had been changed. We were supposed to be going back to the same camp we were at last year in Moravice. Um, but the pastor of that church, his house went on fire and completely burned down. And um, he lost all the documents about the different camps that were going to be happening at his church. And he got confused and had us down for another week of camp. And so we obviously we couldn't do that. So last minute, it got changed to another town and another church. And um, so before we even went out, we were all feeling a bit apprehensive about what's going to happen. You know, this has happened before we've gone. What's going to happen while we're out there? And again and again, people kept sending me, just trust in God. It's going to be okay. And, um, and then Thomas said that to us, just trust in God. So we went to the place where we were going to be staying. And it was a family. There was, let me think, five five children well the, the, the eldest was 22 same age as me the youngest was about 14 they had a family of five and the husband and wife and it was a three-bedroom house and there were six of us staying at that house and I was thinking where are we all going to fit and none of them spoke English and we were all standing there going hi how are you and they're just nodding at us going mm -hmm, yeah and we were like so bedroom where do we sleep and uh, she said oh oh in here and we went in and there was a bunk bed and four mattresses on the floor. And it was a wee small room and it was very close fellowship. So um, I went in and I thought, oh, this is going to be fun. 
And we were thinking, I mean, the house was very run down house. I had chickens running about and all sorts. And I, I was sort of wondering, like, you know, this is going to be where we'll be staying for a whole week. And um, we went back to the church for dinner that night and we were all thinking, gosh, what are we going to do? You know, it's really, really, really small room. And one of the girls goes, look, just trust in God. It's going to be okay. And um, the next day, one of the ladies that was staying with us in that room said that she was going to go and stay in another house because she, you know, she got friendly with another family and they told her to go and stay there. So then there were five in the room and um, it was a wee bit better. But you know what? We were all sharing the one bathroom as well. And everybody was getting up for showers in the morning before we left. So the road started at five o'clock and I would coped absolutely fine and it amazed me because we're all girls <laughs> you know you would think we would be spending hours in the bathroom but it was totally fine and so um yeah it's just amazing how you can adapt and how you can adjust and we were like you know I suppose over here where you stay are you know are good things and stuff but it was totally fine and the family were so lovely and she even taught me the mom taught me how to do a bit of patchwork which was quite cool so we you know we got on really well with them and so the camp started that Monday and there was 60 kids came and we had prepared for it. Well, we had prepared for young children. We were told it was going to be a camp for young children and they're all teenagers. And I was thinking, gosh, I don't know how they're going to, you know, like the song, Our God is a Great Big God and getting them to do the actions and all. But they absolutely loved it. They thought it was great. And um, yes, so Tabor and Aggie, they've been here before to this church there. The coordinators for LMI over there in Hungary and Serbia. They were the ones who were sort of running this camp and we were just helping out. And there was volunteers from Budapest and Romania and um, Serbia. And they were all in the same camp as us. And it was absolutely wonderful. I enjoyed every second of it. The first day was sort of just getting used to trying to remember all the words I'd learned from last year, how to say hello, how to say thank you. And um, got to know the kids. And you know, some of the kids spoke absolutely brilliant English. Put me to shame. And um, Oh, they were just fantastic and they were all really willing just to learn more and the morning um like the wee thing we had in the morning for them just sitting down listening to the word learning their memory verse lasted for two hours and i was sitting on the wooden bench going oh, i don't know how i'm going to cope with this every morning and the kids were listening so intently and i was thinking this is amazing and that morning aggie stood up and said okay, you've heard the gospel, some of you, for the first time, and I want to know who all wants to receive Christ as their saviour, and six children stood up, and I thought, oh, this is fantastic. Um, and some of the kids that were there were um, from Romanian gypsy families, and they had next to nothing, same clothes all week, and, but they were just so lovely, very, very sweet children. Um, and some of them stood up, and I was thinking, gosh, if they go back and tell their mums and dads and brothers and sisters about what they learned today, you know, that would be amazing. So we're really praying for that. Um, and by the end of the week, I think there was about 10 or 11 children in total had given their lives to Christ. And um, during the week, we had all got split up into wee groups um, of different ages. And I got the, it was sort of the middle-aged girls um, and I was in that group and there was one wee girl there called Briggy and she was so, 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 so tiny, really skinny, quite a small wee girl, had her hair cut really short and um, she was silent, she didn't speak the whole time and I was thinking, cause that's a bit odd, you know, all the rest of the kids wouldn't be quiet and she was sitting there ever so nicely and during the week I got talking to a girl um, 
who had spoken to her and this girl could speak English. So she was telling me that Briggy actually comes from a family. There's eight children and the mum and dad in a wee small house. And um, her daddy is the only one who has a job. And he would earn money and bring it back home. And Briggy had told this girl that her dad spends all the money on her thing or his things. And so they only have maybe a slice of bread each, uh, to eat each day. And on Sundays, they get a special treat, which is French toast. They get eggy bread. And um, so she was just saying, you know, maybe you could pray for my daddy and that things would get a bit better at home. And so that's why she was so quiet, because we don't know really what her home life is like. You know, we've only heard the story, but we don't know what it's like for her. And so by the end of the week, she was chatting away and she was praying during one of the group times that um, she was saying, oh God, I thank you so much for food every single day. It's brilliant. And I thank you so much that now I've got friends. My mommy will be really happy. And I was like, that's amazing that, you know, her wee life has changed a little bit coming here. And um, so if you keep her in your prayers. Um, but we met some wonderful people and we were absolutely exhausted by the end of the week um, because we were at church from eight until about half seven or eight each night. And, um, you know, we met some brilliant people. And towards the end of the week, I was thinking, I would love to get to know some of the leaders a bit better because we haven't really got that much of a chance to talk to them. Um, and we found out that some of the leaders had volunteered to come down with us to the next camp that we would be running beside Belgrade. And I was so happy about that. So we all traveled down together on the Saturday um, to this wee church that had never had any children's ministry before. And it was basically a family that ran the church. There was no pastor. Um, and there was, uh, it was the, the mom and dad who were quite old. And then their son, Barnabas, who was 30. And then they had twin daughters um, called Mary and Martha. And they were 25, and they are the happiest people you'll ever meet. You can't help but smile and laugh every time. They can't speak English, but they would come up to you and giggle and hug you and be all, oh, welcome, welcome. And so I loved being around them, and they really picked up the spirits because we were so tired. And we got there, we'd been traveling for four or five hours that day, and we got to the church, and as soon as they came in, they were like, oh, friends, friends, and they came over and ran and hugged you, and you're thinking, oh gosh, they're so excited to see us, it's so lovely. Um, so they had been trying to develop a children's ministry within the church, and hadn't really been getting, I think they'd been doing it for one or two months, and they got one or two children coming to the church. And so they had been trying really hard all I think since January or February to get children to come to it and um, the Sunday afternoon we had like a wee you know welcome to the church day for the kids just to get them give them a bit of an idea what was going to be happening throughout the week because they had never been to anything like this and there was no Sunday school or anything over there so I think it was maybe the only Protestant church in the the town or in the area and um, there was about 30 kids turned up and some of them were, again, some of them were Romanian gypsies. Some of them only spoke Romanian, some only spoke Serbian, some only spoke Hungarian. So we were be being translated three times each time we spoke. And um, at the start, you sort of forgot that this was happening. So I would have been chatting away to them and then all the translators would be standing going, stop talking, stop talking, we have to translate. And the kids didn't know clue what was going on. But um, we finally got into the swing of things and uh, by the end of that week, there was around 12 children had given their lives to Jesus. And it was during, because it was that wee bit, you know, the sort of 
Pastor Tibor stood up at the front towards the end of the week and said, if you want to know Jesus more, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, meet me outside at one of the tables after the wee break. But we didn't know this is what was being said because he was speaking to them in Hungarian. And so we were sitting um, at one of the long tables and I was facing the church and I had a drink of juice or something. And somebody said, turn around and look at all the children who want to give their lives to Christ. And I just turned around and the table was just like, it looked like there was loads of children there. There was 12, which was quite a lot. And um, I turned around and they were all sitting, listening so intently. And they were all nodding and Tibor was talking and uh, was talking so nicely and calmly to them. And they're all like, what, what is this? Because some of them had never heard of Jesus. And it re- like that really, really touched me. And um, yeah, so I think that was another way lesson for me that you just have to trust in God because we were going there being so tired and so worn out from the week before and the heat was so intense and you're leaping about and jumping about trying to get them excited and, you know, to sing the songs. And we sort of approached the week like, oh, I'm getting really tired, you know. I don't know if I have enough energy to get through it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to portray the love of Christ to them. Um, whenever I'm so tired and there's going to be three translators like they're going to be bored by the end of the by the end of the first one never mind the next two and um, by the end of the week they just loved it and you know obviously they got the message you know they knew about Jesus they understood that clearly and um, by the time that they were leaving some of them were coming up to us and crying and hugging us and saying thank you thank you and thinking you know so sweet that that they, you know, they'd never been to anything like that before. And there was one wee boy in particular who was called Luca, and he was maybe three or four years old. And all week he'd been so restless, and he'd been getting up and walking onto the stage while somebody was talking. And I think at one point, um, Alison was trying to tell the story of David and Goliath, and she was acting it out, being all dramatic. And he got up behind her and sort of stood watching her, like, what are you doing? And everybody else was like, get down off the stage, get down. And um, we were just trying to get him content. And um, he, uh, so every so often he would have cried and he would have walked out. And this lady who was with him kept running after him. And by the end of the week, they told us that um, his daddy had been shot in Belgrade 12 days before. And that he was staying with his mummy and daddy. And she said, you know, it happens a lot. It happens a lot. And we were thinking, oh, gosh, you know, that's why he's been so restless, just because his, his life has changed so much. But by the end of the week, he was holding our hands and giggling and laughing and just enjoying it. And it was nice that, you know, there was like a wee haven for them to come to every day. And again, a lot of them didn't have much to eat. Um, so they were coming and getting a good meal. And just to encourage you that, you know, whenever, you know, whenever you just give a little, you know, this is what it's providing for these kids. It's just like a meal that they are not used to. And, um, so yeah it was really encouraging to see that and some of the kids were just so precious and so lovely and there was one wee boy called oscar who knew about a bajillion languages so he was able to translate everything that was said for us and he was like 10 i think so he was really intelligent but by the end of the week he was like you come back next year and we'll have fun (laughs) i said oh well if we come back next year that'll be great hope to see you here and he was like yes yes we'll have fun and i'll help you tell the stories about jesus because i'll find out more about him I was like, bless your heart, he's so lovely. So, um, yes, so we did a lot of traveling. I think it was about seven hours last Thursday, traveling back up to Hungary. And then we traveled to Budapest, all around Budapest, and then home on Friday. So it was an amazing experience. We learned a lot just about trusting in God because so many things happened. And, 
you know, there was a wee bit of a car crash and there was, a, you know, there was a lot of stuff happening and we were out there and we were thinking, oh, we're never going to get home. It's going to be mad trying to get home. But it was, you know, we learned to trust in God. And even though back here, you know, you sort of know that you're trusting in God to get by daily. Out there, you're sort of thinking every minute we're going to have to trust in God just so that, you know, somebody's not well, just trust in God and you'll be okay. And, um, you know, some of the kids have fallen out with each other and it's caused a bit of a problem within the camp. You know, just trust in God because it's going to be okay and it'll be fine. And just wee things that you learned to trust God for. And it was a massive lesson for all of us. And um, it was the sort of lesson that we were trying to teach the children last week in the second camp, just trust in God. And they all seemed to really grasp that, which was so encouraging. So thank you very much for all your prayers and the wee encouraging messages people have been leaving on Facebook were brilliant. Um, and yes, so hopefully I'll be able to get pictures to you at some point and you'll be able to see the wee faces of the people that I've been talking about. So thank you very much. Becky is part of a team uh, that works for Logos Ministries International, that's LMI, and she goes around schools uh, all year uh, doing schoolwork. Uh, how many schools have you been to this past year? Lots? Well, since September, says the school. But 40 schools. Isn't that incredible? That's all Northern Ireland, isn't it? And some in Southern Ireland. Uh, and you get doing the assembly and sharing and all the rest. Isn't that fantastic? That's going on every day of the week in schools here in our country, and it's wonderful that we've got the, the privilege of being able to do that because lots of countries you wouldn't get doing it. So that's good. Thanks, Becky. Now, what we're going to do is uh, Rachel's going to come in a moment, and she's got a great video to show us as well. Uh, but we'll receive the offering first of all because they've got to set up some stuff now, if you're visiting tonight, do not feel obligated in intensive care in the RVH. Liz is a, a, a theater nurse in the city, and they're, they're a great team together. But this is the boss. This is the one who was giving out the orders, all right? <laughs> Thanks, Pastor. Am I on? Yeah. Um, I know I do this kind of each year, but I'm so nervous, so bear with me. Um, okay, me and the team left in June last month. We left on the 18th and um, I first went here last year and last year we went in August and there's me and two others so it was a nice wee small team to lead. Broke me in and this year there was eight and I was like oh glory. Every time I spoke to the leader of left he says there's another person who's joined the team Rachel. There's another person I thought this is great, but stop, no more, please. Um, so I was there. Um, Louise, who came last year with me, she works in um, intensive care in the city, came back again. Then our friend Claire, who also works with me, and there was two retired midwives. Um, Pat was 69, and what a goer. She is from County Monaghan, and there was the first day of the medical mission, we were on loading the truck. And, you know, you just have to make like the chain from the truck down to where you're wanting to set up. So there was a, 
oh, the chain was massive, and this big box came to me, and I was taken back, and I went, oh, Pat, it's okay, step you back, and I'll pass it on to the next person. Well, you would have thought I had hit her, and she was like, give me that box here. I'm a good farmer's wife, you know, and she shoved it off me. She's stronger than me, and honestly, she kept us on our toes the whole two weeks, Claire, our friend. There had been one day, and it was relentless. There were so many people. The heat was exhausting. And Claire, at 2 o'clock, was like, gosh, I'm knackered. That's it. I've had enough. And Pat pipes up, what will you be like whenever you're 69? Huh? What way will you be getting on? And we were all sitting there trying to like drink loads of water, and we were all speechless. And Claire was like, uh, uh, I probably won't be here in furnace. <laughs> it was so funny. Um, so that was Pat, and Doreen was a retired midwife and nurse, and she goes in and out of hospitals, and she prays for people, and she was declaring angels everywhere. Anywhere we got lost, and anybody we had to stop, that's an angel sent from the Lord, that's an angel, oh, thank you, Lord, she was nearly bringing down heaven everywhere. She was quality. Um, Claire, another Claire, um, worked with Liz, and then another girl from London, so there was a good kind of mix. And um, so we all met a few times. Um, we had our first team meeting maybe in March, and then we had a family meeting, and then we all met. 18th of June, we left to go down to Dublin, picked up Pat, and um, we had, basically it took us 30 hours to get to where we were finally wanting to go. So I was like, right Rachel, get comfy. Let's get on the first flight and sleep. Dublin to Chicago. Well, two hours into the flight, the aircon broke. We didn't know this. And I started really overheating. And I was like, flip, it's really hot in here. And everybody was really starting to fan. And Liz was sitting next to me, and then Louise, and then Pat and Doreen were over here, and then the other two were this side. And next thing, this announcement, ladies and gentlemen, um, there has been a malfunction. And I thought, oh, glory, here we're going down. We're not even going to make it to Columbia. <laughs> this is us. My home must be ready. And um, next thing, um, unfortunately, the aircon has broke down. Part of the engine or something that has to manage that isn't working. Um, if there's any medical emergencies, please let us know now. Whenever I'm not on duty, I am not a nurse, as everybody who comes out with me knows. Us all wearing our big lift tops, medical mission, and we were telling everybody, you know, trying to get the upgrades, you know, we're going to do the Lord's work, any chance of a wee upgrade and all. And I thought, if anybody takes ill, I am going to pass out between the heat and the fear of what can I do up here at 30,000 feet. So they started soaking the napkins with the ice to hand out to us. This is how hot it was actually getting. Next thing, there was no food because they weren't putting on the ovens because it was going to definitely overheat the plane and then we we're definitely going to have to emergency land. And I thought, we don't have time to emergency land. We have a next flight to catch in like two hours. So we were like, right guys, let's pray. We have to get here. You know, I know we have a few days before the Americans arrive and then hit, you know, heading out, but we want to get there just to orientate ourselves, and we had the most to kind of go, so we were going to be exhausted anyway. So somehow, they must have lowered the plane, and it started getting cooler, and there was only two parts of the plane that was really cool. The middle part, 
where all the our hostesses were having their breaks, and they decided to have their breaks in this sweaty heat. So I decided to take myself on up there. I got talking to a few men. I dear love them. They were soaking the napkins and handing them out. We were chatting, having the crack. Next thing, this curtain pulls back. Excuse me, shh, it's our break. Well, <laughs> sun rose up on me and let me tell you it wasn't love. And I thought, what? And I just turned around and I just looked and I thought, you're on a mission, you're leading the team, but not Rachel. And the American man got in there quick, you know, the way they're really, you know, oh, sorry, ma'am, sorry. And I just looked like, well, he might be sorry, but I'm not. So we finally landed. And then our next flight decided to be late. And I thought, are you having a laugh? Like, it is one disaster after another. And every time it started heating up in the plane, Liz just started laughing. She goes like, this is comical. And I went, comical? This isn't comical for me. I think I'm going to pass out. And I was just worried about the two older members. Because I thought that, you know, if I'm struggling, they're bound to be struggling. But they were grand. They were sleeping away. They slept through it all. So next thing, Chicago landed there. Our flight to Miami. We had like two hours of a gap. And we all decided to go and clean ourselves up because we weren't looking that great after a sweaty flight and to have a meal and we were looking for the gate and looking for the gate and the numbers weren't kind of coming up and then next thing I started to say um, wait around a certain area and I thought well, why is our gate not coming up we're meant to be boarding now an hour later we were finally taken off and I thought this is cutting it fine I hope the winds are behind us and shove us on and I got talking to a couple of people next to us and I was telling them you know about going on the medical mission and Doreen was like, Rachel, team leader, what are we going to do? You know, what if we kind of miss this? And half the team were like, well, we night in Miami wouldn't be bad. Like, you know, what? And I was like, oh my goodness, how would I even begin to organize more flights? And thankfully, we landed in D9. Now, normally, um, Miami airport is huge. There's like different kind of areas. And normally, we land in like D and to go to where we were wanting to go takes out of A, which is like 40 minutes walk, including rails. And I thought, there's no mission of us kind of meeting this. We landed in D9 and took out of D10. We could not believe it. We had the air hostesses praying for us to run off that plane. We literally ran off the plane, plus we were meeting the other girl from London there. So we didn't want her to have to land on her own because she had never been there. She didn't know who she had to meet on the other side, she had been landing in one of the dangerous cities in the world thinking, who am I meant to be meeting? And I kind of felt kind of responsible. So I was texting her before I left Miami saying, Joe, I really hope we make it, but we mightn't, this is what to do. And she was like, oh, please, Rachel, please, please make it because I don't want to be landing. So we thankfully made it, all of our bags made it which was amazing, and then we got there. We landed in Bogota at about 11 o'clock at night. It was quite late. Made our way to um, the house, and of course we couldn't remember what doorbell we had to ring to get our area open. We didn't have any keys, so Louise, my friend, just started hitting all of them. So they all knew the Irish crazies had arrived because the whole street was kind of woke up. So the next day, um, we got told then after we arrived that they had a full day kind of planned for us. They were going to orientate us, they were going to give us a tour. And as I explained before, um, 
the mission that we were linked with um, had the orphanages. They have a school and then they organize the medical mission. The uh, married couple that run this, the lady has been out there for 20 years and then she met her partner on a team out there and they head all this up and they are just incredible people, incredible people. And so the next day we were up at like eight o'clock and half of the team, Pat and Doreen, were up from six. Like they were leading us the whole time. Like they were first in bed now, but they were first up. And we got a tour and the team had the chance to see all of the bedrooms and they're all done up, you know, so beautifully. And the kids were there and then half the kids were in school. So we went to the school and they heard that we had all arrived. And we walked upstairs to where like the science labs were in the maths rooms and stuff. And next thing we just heard, Rachel Louise, because they could remember us after last year. And they came out running and hugging us and kissing us. And it was so lovely to know that like we kind of impacted them and they could completely remember us. And there was tears and there was hugs and it was just amazing. And the kids had been working so, so hard, so they had been making up the evangelism packs prior to us arriving. So they had made up 6,000 evangelism packs, and not one of them were left. They were all handed out. It was just, it was incredible. And the kids had been so excited. They were so excited about coming out with us. They were so excited about doing the dramas, about doing the mimes, about helping us, about interpreting. And they were just like they got us even more excited, you know, and of course, because we were there last August, it was kind of changeable. The weather, one minute was raining, next minute was windy, next minute was just fair. Well, this year was roasting. And Liz kept on saying the whole two weeks, she was like a wee buzzard in my shoulder. Richie, I'm glad you told me to pack warm, you know. Flip, I'm glad I have this place with me. This is great. <laughs> And I was like, Lord, send the rain, send the wind, <laughs> so she has to use this. <laughs> but it was unreal. The weather was, it was like this. And the crowds like intensified the heat and it was like really humid. And so, um, yeah, the kids were incredible. It was nice to see the changes in them. They had like spent extra time you know, learning the English phrases and studying extra hard and stuff. So um, some of the kids that were wanting to come on the medical mission last year couldn't because their English just wasn't as well. And um, so they worked extra hard and they were so excited that they could come out and they were like nearly crying going, I told you, I told you that I would work so, so hard. And I was like, well done, you were amazing. And um, so before the medical mission started, we had a few days and so we landed on the um, Monday evening and the Americans arrived on the Thursday evening. And there was already a few UK girls there. Um, one was from Port Stewart, one was from Loch Gaul, and one was from up north somewhere as well. So they didn't realize that we were coming out. We didn't realize that they were coming out. So it was brilliant. And then there was a few long-termers as well. And we just got to spend time with the kids. We took them to the park. We took them to the mall. And um, one of the kids that um, live within the orphanage, like all of these kids come from broken homes or backgrounds that you couldn't imagine. Like 
I don't even really kind of want to go into detail just because there's a few kind of younger ones here, but just the worst of the worst. And this one mother of one of the girls found out that we were arriving and where the orphanages are, there's like uh, the middle ground between the gangs and two of the gangs are like notorious in that area. They're really rough. There's gunshots, there's everything. So she phoned them and told them that we were coming. We would have lots of money, lots of white people are coming. There would be lots of money and they had us on the hit list, kind of tagged. So the next thing, the orphanage, were getting all of these kind of prank calls and they knew something was gonna happen. So we were put down into lockdown and we weren't really allowed out. But of course we didn't find this out. Some of the team on their free day kind of went out for the day just to see the local area. Me, Liz, Louise, and another girl went out, Claire, and we took ourselves off to see, you know, over the whole of the city and it was amazing, it was class. And one man came with us, but he went back because he was working on the pictures, working on the video, so he couldn't really afford an awful lot of spare time. So he headed back and the four of us were like, we'd like to go and maybe have a wee manicure, you know, or maybe have our dinner out. Because the food was nice, but rice and chicken, rice and chicken, rice and chicken. So we were like, we don't want rice and chicken again. So next thing we got this text from another member of our team, where are you guys? You have to come home now. And I was like, we're in the city centre, why? And next thing we heard, the gangs had like basically alerted that they were going to do something. And of course, I didn't tell daddy this. You, you never tell people at home really what's really going on because daddy freaks out enough because he knows what I'm like. So I was like, right, hold on, where's the rest of my team? Because half of them stayed at home just to spend time, more time with the kids and we headed out just to see the area. So I knew half of my team was all right and they were back safe and I just thought oh, sure we'll just stay on a few wee hours and have dinner and it was great like it was a lovely dinner and <laughs> it was getting to eight o'clock it was getting dark and I thought we should maybe start and make our way back so we had the address and thankfully we were in an area that didn't really know our area that well because the taxis don't come to our area which means you have to walk now you're always told do not go out without a man because if they see women, they know that that's a weakness and they'll pounce. So I thought, well, we couldn't have walked. Let's just put it like that, we couldn't have. We were over an hour away in taxi. And I just thought, right, Lord, give us a nice wee taxi man that doesn't really know what he's doing, <laughs> that'll drive us. So we got a taxi and I was like, thank you, Lord. And we just started singing and the taxi man hadn't a clue what we were saying. We didn't have a clue what he was saying. I just showed him the phone, said, address, a key, here. And he was like, mm, yeah. So we were singing away, giving the devil a good old kicking, <laughs> singing away. Next thing he pulls up at this strange street, not our street, and said, here. And I went, no. The rest of the team kind of looked at me and I went, this isn't our part of town. And he brought us to the south side instead of the north side. And I was like, you need to go over the bridge. And he started kind of looking away, but oh, right, okay. Then he couldn't really find it. So we were singing, I am redeemed by the blood of the lamb. We were singing away, giving her Dixie. Louise was making up all these strange verses I've never heard of. 
Next thing, we stopped at a red light now. A red light in a main street. And this man comes walking out. Do you know the way sometimes in America they go and they wash your car or something, you know, they do the windscreen? Well, it must be custom there to check the tire pressure. This is what I think. This man appears with a baseball bat. We were singing, I am redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Liz, next thing, drive, drive, and started like smacking the taxi man's head, nearly started freaking out. We were like full pelt, and then we stopped, and we looked at her, and she was like going psycho. And I was like, what's wrong with you? Look at him, look at him, he's got a baseball bat, he's going to come and get us, quick, 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 drive, drive, drive. And I was like, would you calm down? Louise was just like, what's wrong with her? And the other girl was just totally oblivious to it. So finally, the man started going. We got to near where our accommodation was, but all the streets look alike. And in the dark, you can't tell the difference. And I know a few key area points, and I couldn't see any of them. And the man started slowing down, and it was really, whenever there's gang alerts out, nobody's out. So it was really eerie. It was really quiet. It was really dark. Liz again starts freaking out because he's driving so slow. I think she's thinking somebody's going to open this door and pull me out or else we're dead. We'll be getting a gunshot through the window. And I, Louise, meanwhile, thought to herself, I'm of no good, so I'm starting to sing again. So she starts singing in my ear. I am redeemed. She's freaking out on this side and Claire's in the front, oblivious to it all. And I was like, little, stop singing. And she's like, lapping. I'm of no good to you right now, so I may as well sing. I was like, oh, right, okay. Liz, meanwhile, was like, Richie, Richie, we need to get out of here. Quick, quick, drive, drive, drive. And the man was like, uh, saying all this Spanish that I did not know. And I was like, un poco espanol, slow down, slow down. And I was like, just drive straight on, go across. We finally made it. We have never sung so hard walking into our house in all our life. Meanwhile, the rest of the team were like, where were you guys? Everybody has been phoning, saying, where are they? Everybody else was back. So... Yeah, it was interesting. So, but nobody got hurt. One of the school teachers, um, one of the gangs, got a cop's uniform, posed as them, stopped him, stole his bag, stole all of his identity, stole his wallet, stole everything, and he posed as a cop. So when these alerts went out, the cops had to come and they were standing guard outside orphanages, outside our accommodation. They had to escort us everywhere. Now, when I say cops, these guys looked like 14. I kind of looked like, seriously, I could help myself better than them guys. They had their batons and all, but they were like 14. And half of the team were like, Lappin, you'll be able to kind of defend us better than them guys there. It was... It was crazy, which didn't happen last year. So, of course, half the team were like, you didn't tell us about this. And I was like, didn't really happen last year, so this is a new thing. So, the medical mission, the Americans arrived on the Thursday night, and they arrived with, oh, my goodness, so much equipment, so many drugs. So, on the Friday, we had to sort that all out, spread it for over the week. And um, they had already organized the different areas that we were planning to go to. And we were planning to go back to the same areas, but treat kind of different people. So on the Saturday um, was our first day, and we met all of the team. There's people from America, from Canada, from UK, Brazil. There was dentists, triage, which me and Louise headed up. Liz was part of that team as well. Um, there was, so there's triage, dental, 
podiatry, skin, wound care, medical, um, psychology, and then all of the kids done all of their mimes and sketches and stuff, and they had done their thing while the medical mission was going, and it was unbelievable. On the first day, um, the head of the mission had been praying about the medical mission coming up, and just really felt it that the Lord had been pressing his heart to pray for miracles, to pray for things that, you know, that we wouldn't naturally see, but to see them come. And he really urged us to start and pray. And he said, you know, I'm so excited that all of you guys are here. I'm so excited, but I want it that you guys don't have an awful lot to do because I want God to turn up and to really touch this city, to really touch people, to see healings, and for you guys, you know, to have to help us to pray and stuff more so than medically treat. So we all kind of started praying, and um, the first place that we went to on Saturday, we were up, now there was 18 girls up on the first floor, 18 bunk beds either side of the walls, and 18 of us, so showering was difficult, two showers for 18 girls. So we were up at 4 a.m. and left at 6. The journey took five hours in this bus, and I was exhausted. And of course, all the kids are so excited to see you, and they're wanting to spend time with you. And I had this guy beside me, and he did not want to sleep. And I was, you know, hinting like, oh, I'm really tired. The heat's really exhausting. He was having none of it. He wanted to know about Ireland. He wanted to learn more English. He wanted to learn more phrases. So I was teaching them, what's the crack, big lad? Keep her lit. You should have heard him, like he was like a Spanish accent. What's the crack, big lad? And I was like, no, be more broad. So then the Americans heard me doing this, so then the ones were catching on too. What's the crack, big lad? And I was like, oh, dear me. Um, and they were trying to teach us. Um, so my Spanish has kind of came on. And we arrived then at 11 o'clock to this area. And it was like a school that they had um, taken over for us. And the local mayor of the area heard about us, we were there last year and was so impressed that he put on buses to bring the people to us. So in the area that we were in, the villages surrounding, there was like 12 of them. So he put on the transport for four of them to be brought back and forth to us. So um, we pulled up and it was like a big massive day. There was a bouncy castle, the army was everywhere, you know, posting gardeners, the cops were everywhere. And so we started setting up and we started that medical mission at half 11. Now, our plan was to finish at half five. We were still going at half nine that night. The people just kept on coming. The sun went down, <laughs> we did not. There was no light because they didn't expect us to still be there. So you'll see on it that people were holding mobile phones over us to try to shed some kind of light because we couldn't see anything and we were still trying to um, get the information off them and I couldn't even see the paper that I was trying to actually write on and you can't, you can't just stop something whenever you see loads of people coming, wheelchairs, masses, uh, wounds. Like this year we saw more complicated conditions than last year. Last year was a bit more kind of simple, like kind of colds, infections. This year, the first day, I was handed x-rays after x-rays saying, I've got this mass here. I don't know what it is. I can't afford to see a doctor. 
the doctors here are no good, the doctors here don't want to know, there were young people, and I just, like, I so, felt so out of my depth, and I just thought, like, what can we do? So we got the opportunity to actually start and pray with people, and I just thought, we can't do anything, but God can, and, you know, God said, start and pray to me, to show up, to see the miracles, and um, so as we were doing the medical clinics, we finally finished at half nine, and the kids were just exhausted. They were interpreting, and they were getting so tired because of the heat as well. And we were getting so tired, and we couldn't really understand them trying to interpret into English. And then I was getting tired, so it was just taking longer. So we finally quit at half nine, packed up. The kids stayed in another local farm, and this like millionaire of the area opened up his house to us. Now this house, it was like going on holidays to this beautiful villa in France or something where there's a water feature inside the house and the, the half of the house is exposed and there's parrots and there's um, a pony, a Shetland pony and all these exotic animals. And we pulled up and there was this big pool and we were roasting. Um, <laughs> We were all like, well, we'll just jump in. So we all did. Big, massive pool party at half 11 at night. All of the doctors were like, oh, come on, let's just do it, just for part of the crack. We didn't get into bed to maybe half 11. Liz kind of reserved herself. She was like, nah, I'm having a shower and I'm going straight to bed. There was mattresses. This man got mattresses and put them everywhere. His house was our house. And it was just unbelievable. He got cooking, he got food in. Um, in the mornings, we always met around the pool and had our time of prayer. And um, it was like something out of a holiday, wasn't it? It was so unbelievable. And then we went down again to do the medical mission. And on the second day then, um, we were treating people and they were just relentless and people coming in crutches, wheelchairs masses on their face, um, tumours, cleft palates, everything. And next thing, these kids were coming to us running, going, Rachel, 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 this woman's been healed, the woman's been healed. And I was like, what? And I was in the middle of seeing this man. And they were like, we prayed for this woman, and this woman couldn't walk. And their English wasn't exactly 100%, but I was getting this, and this woman couldn't walk. And she's walking now, she's healed, she's healed. And I was like, what? And the kids were so like, I prayed for her, I prayed for her, I prayed for her. And wait, you see me holding her hand? Wait, you see? And this girl, I don't know the exact kind of history of it, but she hadn't walked in years. Her mom had been looking after her. I think it was like each day she was losing power, losing power. And next thing she had been wheelchair bound for years. And um, the team had been doing their minds and skits and her and her mother had been watching and then after all of the dramas are done the kids spread out and they start and pray for people and they pray for people they go and lay on hands they don't care what age they don't care who they are they would have prayed for the mirror they had no shame they were just straight in there and next thing um there was a bunch of kids around this woman and the leader of the mission now he told us this later on that as he was praying he felt the lord impressing on his heart right Come on, you asked me to show up. So it's time now to act on this faith. Ask this woman to stand up. And he said to us, 
He said, not a mission, <laughs> no way. I'm not going to be looking stupid and just kept on praying, you know, looking all holy. And the more he said no, the more he said his heart was going, like, pounding out of his chest. Asked her to stand up. Asked this girl to stand up now. I'm going to heal her. So he said to her in Spanish, will you stand up with me, please? And you can see her kind of looking, and then she tries to stand up, and she stands up. She walked four, like, the blocks were kind of spread out, but she walked four of them. And you can see the kids holding her hand, like kind of looking up in total amazement, like, oh my goodness. And I just thought, isn't that so incredible to see kids witnessing that, but being part of it too, that they like prayed and their prayers were answered. Like they had the faith just to pray to God, heal, heal her please God. Whereas at home, we're so, because they don't have any kind of medical care because they don't have any of the money to pay for it. So they really, really pray to God like this is the only option. And I just thought that is so amazing. And like for these kids to come from the worst backgrounds ever to see the ruins of their lives being made into something incredible. Like for God to shine his glory through them. And, you know, it just goes to show that God can turn anybody's life around and God can just use you in such an incredible way. Like these kids ranged from like eight to older, you know, and they were witnessing that. And like, I, I find it strange because I haven't seen that here. But see out there, it was like nearly like you were expecting it, you know, and... um. So all of the team were like then praying for more and more. And so just a few of the kids that kind of really hit home with me, I saw this kid and he came with his father. And at first I didn't know if it was a boy or girl and um, you'll see him on it. And he has like this scaly skin and he came and he had a hat on and, and he kind of had most of the skin kind of covered. And the dad started explaining and was telling me all this in Spanish. And the boy that was trying to do the interpreting was struggling because he was using a lot of medical terms that he hadn't heard of. So I was like trying to patch it all up. And basically what was happening was his body was making the skin far too kind of fast. So his skin was like a reptile skin everywhere in his body. So I said, can I see please? And he took off his hat and he really had no hair and he had no like the eyelashes were very, very few. And then I said, is it everywhere? Like on your legs, on your feet? And the kid was like, mm-hmm. And I said, is it okay if I just have a look? And he started to take off his shoes and the tears just started to stream down his face. Well, <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. Like this kid is 12 and he has this skin problem that I don't even really know. I don't even know if we can really help him. And he goes to school, he's probably bullied because let's be honest, school is one of the harshest places ever. And his dad was just like, please help him. Please, please help him. And I was like, okay. And the kids started crying and I started crying. And I was like, Rachel, suck it up. This isn't you, this isn't your problem. You need to be happy for him. So I kind of just kind of looked up at him and went, you're, you're, you're an amazing boy. And he just smiled, this massive smile, and then hugged me. 
Well, I couldn't write down his notes quick enough because I thought I am going to screech my head off. All of the team were kind of near me, but only the guy kind of working next to me saw this boy. And he was like, what on earth was wrong with him? And I was like, I don't know, I have to go to the toilet. And I ran up the stairs and started crying my eyes out for half an hour. And all these army big men with their big guns were looking at me like, what is this white girl getting on like this for? And I just thought like, you know, and there wasn't one moan. There wasn't a complaint. There wasn't a complaint that they had to sit for hours. There wasn't a complaint that it was a scorching day and his skin was probably getting worse out in that sun. And um, so they went through to see the medical team and we give them everything we had. We give them all the ointments. We give them all the moisturizing creams. We give them everything. So they went away with this big massive bag and they were very poor. So we said to them, why don't you stay and have lunch? So we give them food and as they were eating food, they set the ointments and lotions down next to them and this guy, came past and stole it all. So as they were eating their lunch and they had all of this stuff, this hallion is all I could say, came and stole all of this stuff and they came back to us and the wee boy was screeching his head off and the dad was inconsolable. They've stole it, they've stole it, they've stole it and they went to the head of the mission. So we didn't know that any of this happened because we were still assessing patients and um, we we heard about this on our last night as they were showing this and we were like, what? Somebody stole all of that, like they saw that kid and the pain that he was in and what he had to endure and they just came along and stole it. I, I, I was just like, how cold and cruel can people be? So they begged us for more, but we didn't have any more because we literally cleared our boxes for them and whenever the woman had to say, we don't have any more, they howled all the harder. And the woman said, hold on a wee minute, let me have your name and number and we'll get you more. So we got them more. But I just thought like, I can't believe that. You know, to think, you know, some people, you know, can't see the good that is being done for trying to ruin it. But, um, and then on our last day, on our third day, sorry, so we stayed there for two and a half days and we then had to travel home, but the mayor was so impressed. Like he put on like everything, like the letters that came back, you know, saying how incredible the work was. Like he begged us to stay on for another two days, but we couldn't because we had already organized to go to other areas. So we went to a homeless area um, on our fourth day and um, the head of the mission tried to go a few days prior to this to um, set it all up and to let us see what we would be working in and the type of people. And um, as they took out their cameras, they're proud people. You know, it doesn't matter if you've got a lot, if you don't have a lot, everybody's proud, you know, everybody has their pride. And they saw the cameras coming out and they saw the videos and they thought they're trying to make us look really poor here and they pulled guns they pulled knives and they had to get out of there so we still planned to go but we were told do not bring out mobile phones do not bring out your cameras these people are proud people don't try and spark off a problem that doesn't have to be there basically and um 
they said to us, like, you will be working with rough people. You will be seeing people with, like, you will definitely be getting lice. You will definitely be seeing this. You will definitely be seeing that. And we were all just like, right, okay. But the previous day, I took really sick. And um, the team had all kind of been starting to feel a bit unwell. But I kind of got it the worst. And <laughs> one of the days, we were having a team meeting. And I just thought, I'm going to be sick. And I had to run down the stairs. And as you know, I'm not a quiet booker. So everybody heard me booking my ring up. I don't even know how I ran, because it like, cut the whole hand off myself. The blood was everywhere. And they were like, what on earth happened to you? I was like, I have no idea. So that next day that we went to the homeless area, honestly, I have never felt so rough in all of my life. I just thought, I'm going to pass out. I couldn't eat, because every time I ate, I didn't stay in. And I, I just thought, I really shouldn't be here. But I just thought, right. You're here to do a job, Rachel, suck it up. Just drink water. And my phrase for the whole week was boom. Everybody was booming. After anything really awesome, it was like boom. And all of the kids were getting into this. And on that day, my wee interpreter, dear love him, he turned around to me halfway through and was like, sorry, Rachel, is it okay if I ask? Are you okay? Have I upset you? And I was like, why? And he goes, because there's no booms or there's no laughs. And Doreen, Doreen even said, there's not even a baby boom. Not even a baby boom. <laughs> and I was like, no, I just really feel really ill. And honestly, I just actually felt like saying to the head of the mission, can I have the keys of the van to go and lie down? Because <laughs> that's how ill I felt. But they told us as we pulled up, do not leave any bags out. We don't even know if this van will still be here. We don't even know if the mirrors will still be on the van. So take everything with you. So I thought, no point in me going to sit in the van. I might be taken off somewhere and never seen again. So we got through. And that day, the doctors went to another area to perform loads of surgeries. Um, so it was all the nurses, the podiatrists, and the dental team took care of everything. That's a wee bit kind of frightening because I like referring to a doctor because especially in my work, there's always a doctor nearby. So if I'm not really sure of anything or I'm just like, just kind of want to double check this, there's always a doctor to hand. Well, there wasn't a doctor to hand that day. So we all had to step up. We saw like 350 patients that day and it was relentless, but it worked so well. We all got on so well. We prayed at the very start of the day. We prayed halfway through and we saw everybody and um, on our last day then, we went to Uzmea, which we went to last year, but we went up like a mountain last year. But this year, they decided to like open up like this sports arena place. So we were all under the same roof, which was nice. And like how many people were there? There was hundreds, like hundreds were queuing as we arrived. And the cops had to limit how many people were actually allowed in. And the sports area kept on just filling up. The seats just kept on filling. And you felt like you were never making any headway. Because as soon as you saw one person, there was another person there. And there was this kid, and um, she came with her mum. And she was maybe, I don't even think she was a year old. And I said, hello, how are you? What is your problem today? And she lifted up the kid's top and explained that she thought the kid had had a bite and it was starting to infect and it was starting to attract and it was like this big boil. That's all that I can kind of describe it as. 
and it was roasting, but the kid was so pleasant and she was so happy. As soon as I touched that, she was not so happy. And I was like, oh my goodness. So we, in the end, got it lanced. Now, it's not on this part of the DVD because it's quite graphic. And Sarah and Becky nearly booked whenever I showed them. But see the pus that came out of that? It was unbelievable. Like, it hit the doctor nearly in the face. It landed right there. As he lanced it, it came And like, I turned right and I was like, Oh my goodness, I have never seen anything like it. But just simple things like that, you know, if that hadn't have been treated, that would have definitely have tracked, would have definitely have spread, and that kid probably wouldn't have made it because her parent couldn't afford to head and see a doctor. Like, that was after a week. That's how bad it was. But, um, so, I'm going to show the DVD. Is Johnny there? Right. Um, it's going to explain, basically, and show you everything that I have tried to explain in words, but this will explain it better. Oh, sorry, one second. We saw in the week, we saw 2,890 something patients in a week. So like, it was amazing. The team, there was 32 of us, but in the overall team, there was 78. And the money that we raised between the coffee morning, um, Pat went and done a walk, Liz had a coffee morning work. We raised like over five thousand pounds, so like we were really able to take the kids out and spoil them. The Irish night, the hokey pokey. Oh my dear goodness, they loved it. The chicken dance and all, they were just loving it. Um, and then on like a couple of the last days, we took them to the park and bought them ice creams and stuff, and took them to the arcade, and they just loved it. So we left the money there with the people and said, like, you guys know where the need is most. We want you to use this to what was left and they started crying. Like they were like, this is incredible. Like guys, we did not expect this at all. So your money like is doing an amazing thing over there. And this is it.